1: Jeremy Corbyn, his son and a Belfast-based rap trio walk into a hemp bar. No, that's not the start of a rubbish joke, just one of the many unusual moments in politics from 2023. It's been a horrible year in plenty of ways, but it's also been a thoroughly strange one. In our final bunker panel of the year, we're going to discuss 20 of the most unusual moments from politicians standing on dogs to bunny murder accusations through to an elected official having perhaps a little too much fun watching a musical. I'm Jacob Jarvis and joining (laughs) me today is our group editor, Andrew Harrison. Hi Andrew. Hello. I saw bunny murder accusation at the Reading Festival in 1993. (laughs) (laughs) we've also got papercuts megastar and new statesman regular john ellidge hi john hello how are we doing Good, thank you. And finally, in our ragtag collection of weird content aficionados is the author of Escape and Westminster Whisperer, Marie LeConte. Hello, Marie.
2: Hello. I feel like I'm going to regret coming on to this. but <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're <in> Marie's life.
1: <laughs> well, so we're going to do the show in list form, but I'm going to level with everyone that there is no particular order whatsoever. So make your own minds up as to what was the weirdest and what was the worst and whatever else. So first, I'm going to start individually and in the first few. So then it'll be a free for all after that. Pretty. Pretty much, John Swella Braverman isn't a nice person, but <laughs> that's news. <laughs> but as a dog lover, how did you feel seeing her stand on one? <laughs>
3: <laughs> it wasn't just a dog; it was a guide dog. <laughs> and <laughs> and, and the you could tell time. it was a guide dog because it remained entirely calm as yeah. it was stood on. <laughs> I mean, she'd like if she was really going for the Cruella de Deville vibes, wasn't she? So, like, yeah. you know, on 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 that basis, I imagine that's probably what she wanted. But as ever with Suella Braverman, I think she probably actually misread the mood of the British people and quite how much cruelty they wanted. Because the one thing you cannot be cruel to in this country and expect to win the affection of the British electorate is animals. They don't care if it's like foreign people or children no. or, or, or other no. Brits. If it's animals, then you're, you're fucked, aren't you? I did like that
4: this week's conclusive hit piece against Keir Stum was he once tried to help a dog. <laughs>
2: yeah. What the bastard. hell was the
3: messaging there? <laughs> That's how It they're was trying nearly it as
2: good as what was it the time when he uh, he bought, I think, his mum a donkey, I that sanctuary, and he be like, oh no, no, if there's one thing <laughs> British people hate, yeah. Um, the next it'll be like he
3: put a dog on a donkey and then fed them both some lovely treats. What a
1: bastard! <laughs> <laughs> I
2: kind of want to watch that now. Once
3: mm. you realise that the right-wing media is actually working for the Labour Party.
1: It makes a lot more sense. Certainly does. Number two, then, Marie. Matt Hancock became an avid TikToker over this year. Do you remember, though, when he wore a Newcastle shirt, which he had meant to have sold for charity <laughs> in one of the weirdest <laughs> TikTok fuck ups that no one asked for?
2: So, it, I think that. <laughs> So the weirdest thing I would say about this kind of sequence of events. So he did a follow-up video afterwards So say, you know, I got plenty of messages about my video and people pointing out that the shirt. you know. <laughs> and then he was like, well, I'll, I'll tell you what happened. You know, I did auction it for charity and a man bought it and then he gave it back to me.
0: Yeah. Which was very
2: nice. And it's like, what? <laughs> Just, what are you on about? So, yeah, no, en- entirely puzzling. I, d- I didn't really get... But, but I don't know. Like, part of me, maybe I'm being too kind here, is a bit like you can really make that up because it feels like such an obvious lie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, surely what you do then is more like, oh, that person gave me the money, but I actually didn't want the shirt like that. I don't know. Yeah, that feels less weird than got the shirt and then sent it back to maybe, me.
4: Maybe it turned up and he smelt it. But God, got <laughs> aroma of Hancock on this. I'm sending it
3: back.
2: Yeah, like, bought it really pissed and it arrives like Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. What did I do?
3: Can I just point out we've already put far more thought into this than Matt Hancock. Yes,
1: absolutely. <laughs> Andrew, I've actually got you some aroma of Hancock for Christmas as well, so watch out for the, uh, the stocking <laughs> filler. <laughs> right, number three, go on then, Mr. Harrison, have your say on the Jeremy Corbyn weird moment. So, Jeremy Corbyn goes to a hemp bar
4: in North London, owned by his son, accompanied by the Irish rap band Kneecap, one of whom is wearing a ball of clava in the colours of the Irish flag. Now, Kneecap is in the context of you know edgy rap music and all the rest of it, fair enough. But if you consider yourself to be a serious politician, you don't do this. And the, my favourite take on this was somebody just had a, a little screen grab of Corbyn next to kneecap guy with the caption, "Make me prime minister, Middle England." <laughs> like it's like that's going to happen. I mean, you could not put together something more calculated to piss off the kind of people that you need to vote for you if you ever want to make headway in politics. And the answer, of course, is he doesn't want to make headway in he's politics. Not a no, I think he's, he's not serious politician. To be. He never was, of course, that absolutely is. I think yeah. the
2: only way you could have made the picture worse if it had been standing on a dog at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
4: I
3: know,
4: yeah. yeah. St- standing on a dog with capitalism written on it or something like that. I love you know, the kneecap, I mean, kneecap, what the hell's going on there? But the guy say it. Yeah, apparently, um, you know, the great supporters of, uh, of uh, peace in Palestine, says Jeremy. Well, that's fine. Great, you know, raising money for uh, hospitals uh, in Palestine. That's fine. Is this necessarily the right way to get that message across? It looked like... Like out of the day today?
3: I would like to say a few years ago at a Labour conference, I had a blazing row with someone I didn't know about whether or not Jeremy Corbyn was anti Semitic. Yes. And this went on for about five minutes before I noticed his name badge. Oh, no. And it was one of the it was one of the dear leader's sons. And to be fair to the man, he was totally fine with having this argument. And then he got me into the mirror party in the exchange for a drink. So Aww. I have a certain affection for the Corbyn boys.
4: Okay, can you go up the hemp bar and uh, find out about you know how Irish it's... republicanism and smoking bifters
1: are intimately connected? It's Christmas. It sounds like a good night out to me. God. Marie, for number four, in a past life, I know you were a big fan of some pretty niche bands at certain points, but centrist dad forming has to be potentially one of the worst band formations of all time, doesn't it? Can you remind me what went on here?
2: well so actually so I had to google it again despite having read about it at the time because I think my brain just erased it for, for my own sense of well-being my brain was like we cannot cope with this you know like and, if, and I think there's lots of interesting studies on trauma and the fact that actually it's a good thing that you forget what happened after a traumatic event because that's your brain trying to protect itself so I think that's what happened to me um, after this because so Ed Balls Rob Peston Robert Peston and a few other boys yeah created a band called the Centrist Dads and played a gig this is just beyond parody um, at the York Rye Street Party in Hampstead and yen yeah, played a number of covers including uh, Anarchy in the UK I believe that oh, Peston no. was singing yeah. yeah no no it's just really really bad oh and... but Peston's
4: singing I am the Antichrist surely that's a special moment in anyone's life I am the Antichrist I am the
1: an Antichrist I know, I know. Uh, number five, John, you are a lover of maps, as we know. So Orkney nearly made the map a bit more weird this year, didn't they? Can I just
3: say that's an amazing segue you've got there? <laughs> um, yeah, so Orkney, uh, the council put out a motion, 15 votes to six, to uh, reconsider the constitutional status of Orkney, which means returning to Norway, potentially, okay. a country that it's not been part of since 1472. But the people who support this point out it was part of Norway for twice as long as it's been part of the United Kingdom. And basically they're not feeling the love from either London or Edinburgh. So they'd like, they'd like a bit more money. No word from the Norwegians as to whether they're, whether they'd be interested in this. Basically they're just kicking up a bit of stink because no one's paying them enough attention. And you know fair enough as someone who is on the internet, I can appreciate that. <laughs> this is Oxs. Orksit, yes. Uh, also, Orkney, by the way, in case, because I can never remember. I had to look this up. Orkney is the one that's just off the Scottish coast rather than the one that's like bloody miles away, which mm. is Shetland, yeah. which mm. kind of makes some sense. But like also, I seem to recall these island groups both voted quite convincingly for remaining in the UK in 2014 because they hate Edinburgh so much. <laughs> they hate Edinburgh more than they hate London. So, Woo! yeah. Go us. I think basically we're looking at Orkney independence in the long term. I think that's the big thing to watch in 2024. Never, never mind the US presidential. Or, or the general election. It's what happens with Orkney.
1: Number six, Maurice, memes were big this year. They, uh, that makes me sound very old. Memes, uh, <laughs> memes have been big <laughs> for a <little> while. Have <laughs> <laughs> you heard of a meme It's a new thing, you know. Right
2: it's time to get you to yeah. bed now. Yes. <laughs>
1: it's on the information superhighway. <laughs> but they became, you know, a, a big part of political communication more so than maybe they've been in the past. What were some of your highlights from this year? Or do you think it's actually quite a lean year for memes?
2: I was about to say, actually, I think I, I will contradict you slightly. I don't think it's been a really, truly great year for memes. But mostly because I think the past few years were so meme heavy because so much happened that this year I think politics going back to normal to an extent means that there were fewer memes. So I will say mostly I think people being incredibly horny for Penny Mord and holding a sword. I think <laughs> like that that definitely created its own share of like disturbing content. I think everyone kind of lost their minds at the but like, You remember like that insane Tory thing of being like, oh well, Labour will give you seven bins and also tax your meat. Um, so I think like that that was <laughs> yeah, meat tax, tax yeah.
1: my meat. <laughs>
4: <laughs> All right, we're making a mug of that. <laughs>
2: Jesus Christ, I, I knew I'd regret coming on and here we are. Well, I mean, I was going to mention actually, yes, well uh, stepping on the dog. So I think my favourite, which is not even really a meme, well, I think it got meme, but it wasn't a meme per se. But when, uh, so you know, they were going to ban the XL bullies and then XL bully, like this is quite mean spirited of me, but when XL bully owners were like, we're going, to, we're going to do this big like, family march on London to prove that they're really friendly, lovely dogs, you know, and I like, bring your kids, bring your XL bully. And about 48 hours before the march, they were like, no, hang on, fuck. Do not bring your children <laughs> to the X up, Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Just run the
4: limbs all up and down
2: the mall. And actually, yes. yeah, do not bring the dogs either.
1: <laughs> um, so everyone got football fever as well at one point. Why did Ed Davey then feel the need to Photoshop himself into an England shirt, Marie? What was going on there? That was one of my weird.
2: I do oh, So I, I feel like I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a Ed Davey Photoshop truther. In that I think that I'd, I wonder if that was not because it was such an obvious Photoshop. I think they wanted the attention. I think they if you yeah if you're the Lib Dem. We it is quite doing. hard yeah exactly like A it's quite hard to get attention from the media from Twitter from etc and B again they're quite online I think like some of the most online people I know are Liberal Democrats so so I think that they knew what they were doing yeah
4: just so, f- so for think. people who missed this it was basically a shot of Ed davie in a pub doing a standard stock shot photo yay with some yeah. very kind of wooden people behind him also going yay <laughs> and they photoshopped an England shirt in, where you could still see the sleeves of his ordinary shirt underneath <laughs> it was it was almost like they just cut it out and slapped it on top, wasn't it? It
2: was, yes. Yeah, so I think they did on purpose. But although it reminded me of a really glorious era of uh, political Twitter, like a good few years ago now where several politicians were caught uh, photoshopping poppies onto like their jackets yes. during poppy month. I think that, that was really fun. We had fun back in the day. That was enjoyable.
1: <laughs> Andrew, while well, on the football point, so Starmer was on AFTV, which is Arsenal fan TV for the uninitiated. I know he genuinely likes football, but is it a bit of a strange way to prove it, having to go right down these sort of YouTube no. YouTube appearance places he, he, he genuinely likes football and a strange way to prove it is talking about football in a place yeah, where football fans are it just feels are. like he just talks about football so much that it almost it 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 almost much. goes full circle it's like
4: horseshoe theory of being a football does fan does he talk about football more than you and I talk about football yeah. which is all the time yeah so you know I would I, 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 this is one thing you can't take it away from Cheers Keir he really does like football he plays football he knows what he's on about if he wants to walk around outside the Emirates gabbing on about it to ATV good on him
2: I think really like Keir Starmer's odd curse is that he is genuinely. as you've said like, he's generally a football fan that like, no one doubts about that he's a football fan but whenever he talks about it he sounds like he's not and he's pretending there and I'm that. not sure why <laughs> no, is but that. it's so rare like cause I feel like you know most politicians generally care about football fine he really does yeah. but there's a weird thing when he talks about it and it, he looks like a man who's never watched a game um, he is
4: his problem is that he is quite a wooden fellow yeah. Even on the things he really loves. I want to interview about orange juice. He loves orange juice, the band, yep. probably the drink as well. I want to interview about that. I'm sure we wouldn't get any more fizzing passion out of mm. him on that either.
2: I did really enjoy, and I must have mentioned it on this podcast site like some time ago. But for my friend's description of Kissed Armour, which I still think was spot on, she was like, He strikes me as like your new stepdad who's brought you to Yo Sushi because he knows you love Japanese culture and he's trying quite hard. Um, and it's kind of that. And you could imagine him sitting there going, and, and, and the you said you like Japan so uh, so we're at Yo y- y- Sushi
3: I think this is currently part of his appeal though yeah. like I think yeah. like That's politics has thing. been too yeah. interesting for too long mm. most people are not like those of us in this room or listening to the podcast frankly most people want politics to fuck off yes. and not bother them <laughs> yeah. and Starmer looks like he might be the guy to bring that it's also interesting that you can already see what everyone's going to hate him for mm. like people are going to loathe how boring and how embarrassing daddy is within about three years of him being elected I oh know.
2: he's going to dance at some point, there's going to be a number ten, do or something. He's going to do a little jig, and that's going oh to be God, very rare.
3: me Theresa
4: May <laughs> flashbacks. <don't laughs> I'd just say, after 13 years of politicians actively telling you to your face to fuck off, a guy just basically trying in a wooden ham fist to be <laughs> nice to you, just trying. I think that's that's going to be diamonds and pearls.
1: So for number seven on another bit of cultural fever, we've got Barbenheimer down here. Marie, what were some of the worst takes? I, mean, I saw that Boris Johnson, for example, thought it was a rallying call for us to have more babies, which felt like he watched a slightly different film.
2: <laughs> 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 which I
4: one? Bar- uh, Barbenheimer or Barbie? Which one? I can't tell.
1: Barbie, I think, was I'll the actual was the, was the rally one, yeah.
2: Uh, I think I did have... so I, I did buy a Barbenheimer T-shirt that said, you know, now I've been called Death at Destroyer of Worlds in so, like pink swirly font mm. uh, which I posted online because I thought it was quite funny and someone told me I was being disrespectful to Japan um, and I thought <laughs> that was a bit of a <laughs> um, bit of a stretch um, no-
3: did know I think you were being disrespectful to Barbie <laughs>
2: <laughs> but no I mean there was so many unhinged takes on, on both movies like so the ones I found was, I, yeah, was I enjoyed why the Barbie movie fails to offer a revolutionary take on feminism in the 21st century of course, the Barbie movie, That's where you I go for you revolutionary. a toy
4: commercial. Yeah. Um, G.I. Joe's got some fucking catching up to do, I'm telling um, you.
2: And on Oppenheimer, I do have to mention, and I really, really enjoyed it because it's a woman I'd really like who wrote it, uh, Iva Dixit, for New York Magazine. So her take is Oppenheimer is a movie for the girlies. <laughs> <laughs> And part of her reasoning is his nickname, Oppie. He reads metaphysical poetry. He wears impeccably tailored pants with fancy belt buckles and flirts with the unshakable confidence of a city girl who has never known rejection. And I just really enjoyed that as a take Oppenheimer's for the girlies.
4: I loved all the takes from the from the mad right in America, which were Barbie is a failure because it hasn't got enough church, family and faith in it. And Barbie is a failure because Ken is a beta, and Ken should be more macho. It's like God. everybody trying to force this thing into the, this square peg into the round hole of their
3: preconceptions was a delight to me. I do think there's an issue that Ryan Gosling got all the best lines. Did he? I slightly think, I think like he he was the one you really wanted to watch
2: he was the one I the did I fun. enjoyed what was it the amazing line the um, when the teenage girl calls Barbie a fascist and she's like but I don't even control transport of or, or the flow <laughs> of commerce. um which and that, that was that was good but yeah
1: John number eight we're gonna move on to UFOs in
3: America why has it been such a weird year in 2023? So a couple of years ago, the US government admitted it had an interest in UFOs. And it had, in fact, been trying to discredit people who, who were into UFOs to the point that in 1966, it literally hired Walter Cronkite to front a documentary mocking people who were into UFOs. And they've, they've, they've come out about this. They've now admitted they were doing this. And it was all meant to basically sort of make sure that they weren't, we weren't listening to Nutters talking about aliens when what they really wanted to hear about was like credible reports of, of foreign spy planes from like Air Force pilots because obviously unidentified flying object doesn't necessarily mean alien. It can mean just, you know, dodgy weapons technology. And what actually happened was like all these sort of like credible people stopped reporting stuff to the US government because they didn't want people to think they were nuts. But yeah, in a couple of years ago, all the, the US government admitted all this, set up of an official UFO office. And what do you know, the number of reports of people seeing weird shit in the sky has gone through the roof. And while the vast majority of these are benign objects such as balloons or drones, some uh, maybe be the Result of America's adversaries trying to spy on the U.S. So that's very exciting, mm.
1: Andrew. I hear from you that you think <laughs> you could that you think you could negotiate an alien invasion if it were to happen. Well, we had the conversation. <laughs> did that come up? A question
4: arose earlier in the year. I think it was from something that was flying around Twitter. Actually, it was, what thing that you are completely unqualified for? Do you think you could do no problem whatsoever? Could you just mm. do it naturally? And people were saying things like fight a bear or pilot a nuclear submarine, how hard can it be? And I thought about this, and I thought, I I actually genuinely do believe that if we had first contact and an incomprehensible alien race were to arrive, like in Arrival, I genuinely do think I could handle it, because I've been practicing this in my head for 50 years. I know what to do. I know how to communicate with them without language. If they arrive aggressively, I know what to show them. I totally could do it. If you could, look... Michael Gove, how hard can it be? I run a podcast company. How hard can it be to deal with an alien culture whose minds are constructed in an inscrutable, unreachable way? Dead easy.
2: Isn't it, I love that you started the very first sentence and I was like, he watched Arrival. Like, that is a man who <laughs> watched you know Arrival. in really I liked... watched
4: Arrival and when I watched it, I went, yes,
2: of course, yes, yes. <laughs> what you, what, how else would you do it? Don't be stupid. <laughs> this is the way to do it. Writing with the director to be like, I agree, As someone who's thought no about this. I,
4: you've done your work. I like it.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so Can I just clarify, this isn't one of 2023's weirdest moments. This is literally creating a new weird moment on the podcast <laughs> live.
4: Yes, just a little, little, bit right. chat, little bit of chat,
3: a little bit of Number nine, sticking with the US
1: on flying objects. John, do you remember the spy balloons and that weird moment of time? Oh,
3: yeah. So, for I mean, April, Washington admitted that the Air Force had shot down a Chinese spy balloon, which is not a sentence you really want to hear. Mm -hmm. Apparently, it was like just hanging out, flying over sensitive military sites for about a week uh, in late January, early early February. Two very good lines from Sky News on this. The White House ruled out any connection to extraterrestrial activity following public (laughs) speculation. So that's reassuring. Pentagon officials said they believe there is no peacetime precedent of shooting down spy balloons and I just think this is going to be like the most embarrassing reason to have World War 3 is a fight over some balloons
4: yeah. when I heard Chinese spy balloon my mind went to like a big inflatable like a spy like in spy versus spy and mad magazine you know like a guy with a hat and glasses just <laughs> floating over America which would be a great way to discuss, disguise it as the pig from Pink Floyd they would never realise what it was they'd just think it was an escaped inflatable
1: number 10 Andrew we've got the Trump mugshots. this was quite weird wasn't it largely because it just made him look in a way quite good it felt like he he was posed but how he wanted to it didn't make him look good at all it made him look like what he is which is a
4: an egotist of such stupendous power. I'm surprised the planet hasn't collapsed around the, the suction and the but gravity. But he was weirdly pleased with The it, gravity, if you like, of his vanity. Yeah, he's very pleased with himself. And the way he was blue stealing it yeah. um, at the camera. And also the way he immediately turned it into merchandise for the yeah. campaign. You can buy this, the T-shirt, $36. I've no idea how he owns the copyright. into something that seems to belong to the Justice Department. But well, this is Trump order. Just, just do
1: it. And, oh, and there's no anybody. copyright
2: on uh, Mark Crott's, I believe. Don't ask me why I know that. I feel like that's just okay. one of those things that my brain was out of course I feel
1: like there's a story here but maybe there isn't no, um, I imagine it would be public domain because yeah, of news yeah. usage and
2: but stuff but
4: it's like that. just like the idea that you can turn what ought to be a moment of ultimate shame for any serious politician into just another fundraising grift yeah the fact that he's got this kind of glowering under his ridiculous comb over fringe the fact that he can turn ev- anything into a marketing opportunity for himself i can't wait for him to be
1: gone and i don't think it's going to be soon Marie, number 11, we've got a Trump rival weird one, which is also based around an image. Ron DeSantis and that really painful smile that he did. (laughs) Uh, Can you just just talk us through it a little bit? And is it almost borderline impressive for him to be able to be a human but behave so much kind of not like one. He
2: does I? look... So, oh, what was it? So, it reminds me of Men in Black. So, basically, if you've not seen that scene, so I think Ron DeSantis is doing a debate, and I think clearly was stalled by people in his team. You've got to smile more, especially when you're done talking. don't know if you remember the alien in Men in Black, um, mm. who was, I think, pretending to be a farmer or something, and clearly you're just wearing an ill-fitting skin suit. Like, that's what he looks like. So, you've got DeSantis finishing talking, then there's a beat... And then he just has the weirdest, like, the weirdest smile. Like, it, yeah, I, I don't even really know how to describe it. I, I would really recommend Googling it. But no, I think my actual favourite DeSantis moment, which, in fairness, I can't remember if it was, like, early this year or late last year. But when he tried to pick a fight with Disney on copyright law, that is, like, starting a land war with Russia. Like, that is not a thing <laughs> yeah, that yeah, you yeah, do. Yeah. So, it was, yeah, he tried to do caps that were Ron DeSantis in the Disney font. So, no, 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 you will die. You will. They will kill you. Like, that is not going to happen. So, really passing by. was it? The other wearing shoes with like, a hidden little heel inside as well, but which was very obvious because as a result, he just had the gait of someone walking with high heels. So it was the world's <laughs> most obvious thing. It's kind of was gender confusing How for the
4: extremely, uh, you know, traditional DeSantis.
2: Yeah, yeah, just, uh, just a, a light base. little strut. Yeah, <laughs> you can't it, does, walk in
3: it. it does feel like there is a structural problem in the media on both sides of the atlantic where like the right wing press occasionally anoints someone and go oh, look, this is this is the guy this is the person we're going to rally around and about 40 percent of the time they're like a fucking weirdo who doesn't look like a human being yeah. who is just going to be genetically incapable of ever winning any votes but they've all convinced themselves that this is the solution and number 12 we've got another weirdo on the right in america
1: so Beetlejuice, Marie, is not a sexy <laughs> film, I would say. Yourself, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's quite cool in his own way, I suppose. But it's also been adapted to a musical which I imagine isn't particularly raunchy either. But Family Values Republican Lauren Boebert clearly fought otherwise. What was the the moment?
2: It, oh, I feel bad because it is just quite an iconic story. So, Lauren Bobert uh, went to watch the musical adaptation of Beetlejuice uh, with her partner, and they got kicked out because she was vaping and giving him a handjob, which is not...
4: <laughs> we, we don't know she was actually giving him a handjob, but it looked like she's having a good old rummage. And it he, he, he part, was yeah, she, certainly she, she, having a rummage. She,
2: she was, yeah, looking for her keys. Um, yeah. But not not really finding them. No, I I just really really enjoy that story, and especially I think coming from someone who is very right wing and technically kind of you know very socially conservative. Just it's something that should happen when you're 15 at most. Like and anything above 15, you'd go, what are you doing with your life? And she's a she's a lawmaker she's a lawmaker from the right that would make you better if she was from the left but, but when you still. see the
4: video not only does she do all of the aforementioned but she's also jigging around in her seats very 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 overexcited for some reason I don't know why she vapes all over a pregnant woman who asks her to stop and she says no <laughs> when she's ejected she gives a finger she gives the finger yeah. to the oh, security guys the on finger, the way out yeah. she gives it full do you know who I am and afterwards when forced to apologise she says I apologise for having a good time and being a patron of the arts I mean it's just pure you know, I'm I'm a marmite person. You either love me or you hate me.
1: Brackets. Everybody hates you. It I apologise that vapes are so tasty. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> basically I what she that said. Fun is such fun. <laughs> so on to number thirteen. There's the NatCon conference and the Tory conference, which I'm I'm lumping together because they were a bit much of a muchness in some ways. Marie, does the NatCon feel any less weird now that some time has passed from it?
2: No, it was really it was still really weird. And I think the thing with NatCon is that it, it's not originally, I think, a very British endeavour. It's a kind of, you know, like network of conservatives around the world, or at least around the West. And I think that was really striking watching it happen in Britain. Like it did not feel like, I, I can't believe I'm sort of like trying to out the Brits here, but it really didn't feel like traditional British conservatism. So you, you had, you know, it was kind of like quite evangelical, yeah. you know, sort of like proper fire and brimstone nearly kind of like right-wing politics, which was very, very odd. But yeah, and I think Miriam Cates, that, that, that's when she really began began to shine, her star began to shine, so that, that was a delight. I'm just so happy that Miriam Cates is now just someone who's part of our mainstream politics. Isn't that a delight? she's still... currently
3: under investigation by the House she of Commons. She
2: is, she is, is yeah. Is for,
3: for bringing the
4: reputation of Parliament into disrepute.
2: I cannot Cow. wait to find we out don't know how. But that's
4: no, well, so you, looking forward to how that. How can you do that now? How
2: can you do that? It's
1: 2023.
2: <laughs> the bar is very high. The
1: bar is, the bar is the stratospheric. Yeah. Which was weirder out of the two, though, NatCon or then the Tory conference? Because Tory conference had the moment of Penny Mordaunt, for example, just saying stand up about oh, 25 yeah. times, which was really painful. And then there was also <laughs> Sunak cancelling the Manchester leg of HS2. In Manchester, which just feels like timing-wise, but
2: also after several weeks of like, oh, is he going to do it? Is he not going to do it? Which overshadowed absolutely everything else. No, so I think Tory conference was—it was a really weird one to attend because on the one, a on the one hand, you know, everyone was kind of in a good mood, which was really, really weird. Like the party is doing appallingly in the polls; you know, is definitely going to lose the next election. But everyone was just kind of having a nice time. So you were just kind of have like, you know, drinking your little glasses of champagne, eating your little canapes, talking to everyone, delightful. Even though you know everyone you were talking to knew that they were doomed; they were almost. Certainly going to lose their seats or lose their job, etc. So that felt really weird. And the other thing, as well, is I think. There was a lot of very odd complacency coming from especially the kind of centre of the party going, oh, you know, (laughs) fine, Boris is gone, Listros is gone, you know, finally we've got our party back. And then every speech in the main hall was insane, very right wing, like Suella stuff, or even like Rishi's speech was actually in part very, very right wing. So again, it was a very dissonant conference. So yeah, so by that mark, I would say it was very weird.
4: From a distance, it did have the kind of aroma of the Führer bunker as the Russians are closing in, you know, yeah, drunkenness and enjoyments and what? Uh-huh, nothing matters anymore you know no but
2: that's the weird thing so not quite that so at least because i think that was kind of the vibe at the list trust conference where mm. people were just getting smashed and going <laughs> 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 So that was every that definitely happened that was, that okay. was very fun um <laughs> but no no this one was like they just seemed fine
3: is it just th-
2: very weird
3: is it just they've now successfully like purged the party of anyone in touch with reality
2: no, not not really. I think no. I think it's really like, like they sort of reached the acceptance stage a bit. It's just going, yeah, we're fucked. So I feel like you know the List conference was going, ha, 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 we're fucked, no. and this was just, like, uh, yeah, we're fucked. Pass me the champagne.
1: Number fourteen, angry politicians. Let's talk about them for a little bit. Andrew, those Gillian Keegan who asked why nobody would congratulate her for doing a good fucking job in oh, I've a, got a few in a hot mic moment. Did that feel more weird though? Because it seemed deliberate. It was barely hot mic, wasn't it? It was kind of literally as soon as the interview was done, she started saying it and surely she's media trained enough. i got strong thick of it
4: vibes in this one. i got strong made up minister finally loses their rag and it's very nearly strategic uh, vibes in this. I mean to put it in context she's talking about the crumbling concrete scandal uh, and she claimed that others have been sat on their arse while she's been dealing with the crisis dealing with the crisis is is really doing a lot of heavy lifting there because we're not entirely sure what they did apart from move a load of kids into into porter cabins and hope for the best. The rack scandal continues to hang over schools and we don't really know what what work has actually been done to to rectify this that said if you're Gillian Keegan and you're a tiny bit committed and you're kind of vaguely competent. You're looking at all the people around you. You're looking at the absolute bestiary of chancers, liars and fifth racers who are sat with you around the cabinet table. And maybe you do consider that you are doing a fucking good job compared to this lot. So I can kind of understand it. I also think we should have an amnesty on hot mics. I think we should understand that people do have a life elsewhere. And if somebody wants to accidentally flick their, the middle finger to a BBC cameraman, off camera. I think we
1: should we should be more tolerant of to that. That's the gaiety of nations. Number 15. This is quite an infuriating one. But at the Covid inquiry, it was said that the pandemic was the wrong sort of crisis for Boris Johnson. John, even though we already knew Johnson was useless,
3: was this still just strange to watch someone suggesting that? I mean, I want to know what the right sort of crisis for Boris Johnson is. (laughs) Is it insufficient Latin? A shortage of overpaid opinion columnists. It's just like, what the fuck is the man for? I, I don't know. I kind of think like there is something structurally wrong with the whole COVID inquiry process, which is like it's trying to do two slightly incompatible things. One of which is we should be learning lessons about what went wrong during the pandemic. To make sure that they don't happen again next time, and in that sense, it should probably be a sort of like truth and reconciliation so sort the of commission. That is banging straight into the public's desire for retribution and hmm. to see these fuckers humiliated for everything they did wrong. And like Boris Johnson knows this, so he just turned up at seven a.m. where there was nobody there, so that he could get into the building without being surrounded by by people who'd lost loved ones. And he got out in much the same way. It's I think the whole thing is actually pretty unedifying, to be honest. Number sixteen,
1: David Cameron turning up to. Downing Street. Marie, there was genuine confusion among the journalists who were filming this. And then there was excitement from some journalists. Quentin Letts got very excited in a piece for The Washington Post writing, Lazarus breathes. London has witnessed a political resurrection almost worthy of St. John's Gospel, Chapter 11, in which a man is restored to life, or here
3: public life, long after being given up for a goner by his friends. How does Quentin Letts write in such a way that he always sounds sticky? (laughs) (laughs) everything he writes it's just like that man is sticky right now (laughs) Marie were you surprised
1: as as Quentin Letts was here. And uh, were you also surprised at the... <laughs> maybe not the same way, maybe, maybe not with the same blissful enthusiasm, but carry on.
2: Jacob, it's been so fun to have me. I've, just, I've got to <laughs> run I'm so sorry.
1: Uh, but were you also surprised at the weird reactions, though, to this?
2: It was, oh my God. So my friend, uh, actually like a friend of mine in John's, uh, has a really great, very mean theory as to why all the kind of like middle-aged, just about centrist dads got so excited. So her, th- <laughs> her theory is that, you know, when Cameron came in, like, that's the last... Last time they had a truly satisfying sex life, <laughs> 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 so there's a weird link in their brain when they see Cameron being back in government. There's a weird psychosexual thing where they're like, And I too can make a comeback like this is you know, I could I not you, everything <laughs> is lost. I think
1: you just ensure that none of our listeners will ever have sex ever again. <laughs> At number 17, let's talk about Nadine Dorries, who's probably the weirdest MP of the year, I would suggest. So first of all, there was her resigning, then not resigning. Then there was the book as well. So, John, Dorries resigned with immediate effect, then took 81 days to actually
3: formally resign. It gets better. She also resigned pending an investigation into why she didn't have a peerage. The investigation which she would be conducting herself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, like, I, I sort of think she's had the most incredible year. Like, I know I should she 's terrible, she has awful opinions, but I just sort of love her like she just like she just threw a bomb into Westminster on like sort a sunny Friday afternoon when everyone was clocking off, <laughs> knowing full well what it was going to do. she's living her best life she 's just enjoying herself
1: I mean. I feel the, like she's the kind the of like
2: British George Santos. But like, I would love to watch an interview with the two of them.
4: Imagine, imagine a kind of like a buddy movie with the two of them, sort of stuck having to stuck in a car, having to make a major journey somewhere. Nadine and George.
2: I would absolutely one hundred percent go for a night out with the two of them. Like it would, it would be no, you would. I like, feel so confident in saying you would have a great time. Like no. you would never want to see them again. But I think you could have one great night out with Nadine Dorries and George Santos.
4: But my hatred of her. Boil the planet
1: away, (laughs) so I don't think it would be fun. Well, Andrew, the bunny-killing stories
0: and the Bond (laughs) theme (laughs) titles.
4: Bullshit, isn't it? It's just a sea of bullshit. And the the strange thing is that the way Nadine Dorries reports the supposed alleged activities in the Conservative Party are just as banal, trite, stupid and badly constructed as her own books are. What a surprise. The reality she brings us is just as, as much a tissue of absolute bullshit as her own fiction which at least has the decency to call herself fiction, and her own political life. She's full of shit, and I hate her. I was we're supposed to do a light-hearted end-of-year <laughs> one. And also, I'm sick of her saying she's from Breck Road in Liverpool. If she walked down Breck Road right now, people would throw dog excrements at her and cheer while I did it. So I don't want to hear any more
3: about Nadine Dorries. Andrew, were you all involved in your therapy session? <laughs> I'm
0: feeling is a lot
3: better I've got right now. it all out, John. I'm feeling a lot better.
2: Is it also partly because she's from Liverpool? Or is it quite close to home for you?
4: It's literally quite close to home. She was born, says she was born, around the corner from uh, where my parents had their little butcher's business. Oh. So it's not beyond uh, the possibility that this awful woman once bought some pork chops from us, <laughs> which I feel is just a stain on the family escutcheon. Huh?
1: There's been a lot of talk of animals actually in this podcast, which I find surprising. <laughs> they they're quite strange in their own their own way, I suppose. Number eighteen. John, why did an MP call grey squirrels the Hamas of the squirrel world?
3: <laughs> I, I don't think I can do any better on this one than just to literally read the beginning of
0: ITV's
1: news
3: <laughs> Grey squirrels have been labelled the Hamas of the squirrel world by a member of Parliament the DUP's Jim Shannon compared the animal to the Palestinian militant group designated a prescribed terror group in the UK as MPs considered ways to protect red squirrels. <laughs> Hamas was responsible for a deadly attack on Israel on October the 7th. So I'd, I'd missed this one and when
4: I saw this here I thought my God that's unfortunate considering what happened afterwards. No, yeah. no, it happened this
1: before. was November.
3: Yeah. He did this in November. I know. I know now. It's just, yeah. it's just like literally he's just like he clearly just wanted to, to what's the worst thing I compare these squirrels to yeah. And his brain went straight to whatever he'd seen it on the news. It would be that the moment. DUP, wouldn't it? Yeah.
4: And also, like, this is a quick headline for me. A quick headline to get, you know, to get mm. me onto the front. No matter how stupid and embarrassing it is.
1: Number 19, to more attention seeking political figures. Did anyone think that Farage would make the final three of I'm a Celeb? Marie, yes. did you think he'd do so well?
2: Uh I, it's one of those stories I, I tried so hard to not pay attention to. I always assumed he'd do reasonably well. I think I would have been really surprised if he'd won, but no. So I think, I think it, yeah, was broadly in line with uh, my expectations. But no, I will say, it's my favourite story about him. Being on I'm a Celeb, which I did not watch the second of, like came from Pop Bitch, where apparently Farage was caught mumbling uh, on camera that he was really annoyed to not get nominated for the Bush Tucker trials, or the thing where you have to eat various animal testicles, because apparently they account for 25% of the airtime. So he basically counted on being so hated that people would vote for him to do the like testicle-eating stuff so he'd get more airtime. But actually, people just didn't quite hate him enough to make him do it, which is quite funny.
1: John, is he more like a celeb than a politician now? Or do we actually underestimate the influence? Or... Are the lines much
3: more blurred than they used to be? I think he's, I think the lines are massively blurred. He's exactly the same kind of politician as Donald Trump or Boris Johnson, where it is like you know it is the ability to win airtime that is responsible for, for the ability to propagate terrible politics. He knows exactly what he's doing. And also like he doesn't want to govern. He wants to influence the debate. He does not want to ever get into a position where he actually has to take responsibility and do stuff.
2: I've come increasingly to see him as the kind of like monster in a slightly scary movie for children because it feels like Farage is only relevant when the Tories end up getting their knickers in a twist about Farage being this big, massive threat, which, again, feels like kids being like, oh, but the monster, you know, the more you think about the monster, the bigger the monster will get. And that feels like that weird symbiotic relationship between the Tories and Farage, where the more they go, oh, God, oh, God, Nigel Farage will come back and eat us all, the more influential he becomes again. And I'm pretty sure that if they just ignored him, he would not be influential anymore. So it's a very odd, very odd relationship. He's Count Olaf. Yes, He's
1: he's, he's the guy from Minions or whatever. Mm. Number 20, Andrew, we've got Sunak getting locked out of Downing Street, which he actually managed to do. Is he a man kind of incapable of looking like he knows what he's doing in any way, shape or form? The hammer thing, for example, turned out to be not quite true. He wasn't using the side wrongly. But the fact that people believed he would not know how to use a hammer, I think, is quite indicative of what people's opinion is.
4: Once you have assumed a certain master role, you can't get rid of it. And in his case, it's the guy who is just so far above us that he doesn't know how contactless payment works, doesn't know how to put petrol in a car, doesn't know what keys are, clearly doesn't know how long trousers ought to be because you can see his ankles at all times. He's become kind of identified with a sort of gormless removal from reality and when you watch the clip of him trying to get into number 10 with Mark Rutter it's it's almost like something from Waiting for Godot because the two of them are sort of faffing about in front of the door to number 10 and then they sort of start looking to the side as if somebody's left a key under the plant pot you know like your nan <laughs> used to and you wanted to let yourself yeah. in and uh, eventually somebody does let them in and they, they're almost shocked and surprised it's Laurel and Hardy great stuff. But I actually do think it tells us it tells us a deeper truth, Jarve, about who he is, which is he genuinely is rich gormless. He genuinely is divorced from reality. He genuinely would not know what to do with that payment card. And if you asked him to, I don't
1: know, go and top up your MISA, he'd have no idea at all. So That brings us then to the end of the list, as I said, which wasn't ordered. But I'm going to let you all have a chance to pick your number one weirdest political moment. So, Marie, starting with you, out of that list, what was your number one? Was the peak?
2: I think in terms of what provoked the most hysteria in me personally, it was Suella Braverman standing on the dog. Like, <laughs> I don't know why, but I think like, it's one of those stories that just made me break on the day, and I was, like, I'm just done. Like, I'm just done. this it. does sum
4: up, sum up our reality in
2: a lot
3: mm. of ways, doesn't it? John, what about you? Just in terms of which one I found most personally traumatic, I'm going to go with centrist dads. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just don't want these people thinking they're rock stars. And Andrew.
4: It absolutely has to be Jeremy Corbyn with <laughs> me, because... You know, it was described somewhere on Twitter as this is the four seasons total landscaping of the left, you know, where you've just done the, the, the most spectacularly wrong and inappropriate thing and you seem to think it's brilliant.
1: Well, Braverman standing on the dog is going to win, I'm going to say, <laughs> that's that's definitely my <laughs> casting vote. It was just, you could not write Howl. But it, and Guide Dog as well, just the the, <laughs> the literal heroes of the dog world been stomped upon by the Tory right is just... they can all good dogs, Jav. Yeah. So there we go, we've wrapped up the 20, but there's a little bit of a bumper round here where someone else can win other than Marie, potentially. Let's see, <laughs> or Marie might win this as well, as she won the weirdest moment alongside me. I've got three questions and whoever tells me the answer first wins the point, so there's three so either one of you will get two you'll all get one each let's see who said that they would rather die of electrocution than being eaten by a shark if they had that choice Thomas Edison <laughs> <laughs> no any any more for any more
2: uh, that's such a weird
1: they're huh. both shit ways to go they,
2: right? they oh, are yeah. I would pick neither ideally uh, Trump Really? Oh my one god it's actually
1: to Marie. Yeah it was Trump said that yeah. <gasps> Incredible. Who said it is much harder to make friends than enemies? My skill at the latter is improving.
2: Oh that's fucking Musk, isn't it? Two, Two points. points. Yep.
1: Marie's one, so this yeah. let's see. Let's see on the third one then. Who said God save the queen, man! After a speech <laughs> talking about gun violence, Joe Biden. Biden. Yes, it was Joe Biden. I and still can't get to the bottom of why why that might be. But clearly, he said, "God save the queen" after she's already dead. Yeah, w- well done, Joe. <laughs> Do you think that was a deliberate diss? I have no idea. Because I know he likes the royal I don't know how much. Diamond Joe's mind works. No. Apparently he has all sorts of weird phrases and he, uh, he's got the aggressive dog as well, which maybe Bradman can go stand on to, <laughs> to teach it a lesson. So that brings us to the end of our Bunker special. Thank you to Marie. Thank you. Joy and Noel.
2: There you merci. A bit of, uh, bit yeah, of French yeah, for wow, you Yeah, wow, I was it's not expecting yeah, that. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Got a few tricks in my uh, back pocket. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. And thank you, Andrew. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening to The Bunker throughout this bizarre year. We've got a few special editions over the Christmas period, so keep an eye out on your podcasting apps, and we'll be back to our regular weekday service on Tuesday, the 2nd of January, with a special Start Your Year series of episodes. From all of us at The Bunker, Merry Christmas.
0: The Bunker Daily was written and presented by Jacob Jarvis with Andrew Harrison, John Elledge and Marie LeConte. The producer was Liam Tate and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis and the group editor is Andrew Harrison. With music by Kenny Dickinson and artwork by Jim Parrott, The Bunker is a Podmaster's production.